In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, it's one of the great mysteries of the 21st century. Two car pileups, one in Paris, one on the M6 motorway in England near Birmingham. Strange flashes of light, disappearing and reappearing passengers, and bodies taken to the mortuary and later tampered with. I wouldn't rule anything out, especially when you look at the new evidence that's come to light about the bodies in the mortuary. Four bodies that have disappeared and reappeared and they have no physical signs of being involved in the crash. Well, that begs the question, who was in the crash and where they got? And how on earth did these four get to the morgue? And why is it taking somebody, what, seven years or so to come forward? This podcast is brought to you by HallOfTheParanormal.com. Author William J. Hall has a great new paranormal shopping site called HallOfTheParanormal.com. It's like one-stop shopping for all things paranormal. He has ghost hunting equipment, gift baskets, salt lamps, jewelry, and much more. HallOfTheParanormal.com. Check it out right now and get a 20% off code, a 179-page ebook called Humorous Hauntings, and a subscription to Bill's newsletter, halloftheparanormal.com. Hall, as in H-A-L-L, of theparanormal.com. That's halloftheparanormal.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. 
Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Once in a while, a story is so incredible, so mysterious, that it sticks with you. And once in a while, new information comes forward that sheds light on this mystery. And so it's necessary to revisit and update that story. This is the case with a story which remains one of the great mysteries of the 21st century. Back in late 2009, there was a multi-car pileup on the M6 motorway in Great Britain. Nothing peculiar about that. But when emergency responders arrived at Junction 11 near Birmingham, where the car crash took place, they discovered a number of vehicles on fire. Witnesses reported the pileup began after a strange, blinding flash of light. Most strange of all was that the first four or five vehicles involved in the crash were empty. No drivers, no passengers, no one found anywhere. Then, about six months later, A similar car pileup, this time in Paris, near the Eiffel Tower. Same blinding light. But in this case, the occupants in the lead two cars were seen to disappear and then reappear. And there were four fatalities. These bodies were taken to a morgue at a Paris hospital. And then from there, things just got stranger and stranger. Colin Hall has been at the forefront of covering this story. He joins me again with an update to this incredible mystery. He is the author of Fact or Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes. Colin Hall, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, Richard, and thanks for having me back. My pleasure. This remains one of the great unsolved mysteries of the 21st century. The M6 Paris crashes, and you have been at the forefront of reporting on this and investigating it. For those people who don't know about it, who maybe who missed the episode we did, episode 35 on the M6 Paris crash, just give us again the thumbnail sketch of what happened and when. Well, there, there were a couple of incidents reported in um, 20, 2010, they were. Um, the first one took place on the M6 uh, near Junction 11, which is near Birmingham. Um, reports by Mark Collins that um, suggested that people were disappearing, bright lights, um, vehicles abandoned at the front of the crash. Um, several months later, uh, there was a similar incident, one that was ultimately linked by Mark Collins, that took place near the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Uh, Again, very similar circumstances. There was a bright light seen by the witnesses. Uh, This time, there were allegations that the occupants of the vehicles um, actually changed their appearance. Um, And it it sort of spiraled out from there. It was very much um, almost like an urban myth where the reports of one man, Mark Collins, seemed to capture the imagination of a lot of people. And subsequent to that, there was a, a short video that was allegedly from the crash scene at the M6 and it sort of piqued my interest completely unrelated and something to do with my work and I, I kind of got sucked in as uh, as many other people have and have spent you know a fair bit of time researching it reading up about it and um, putting my feelers out to see if there was any more you know information to substantiate these claims and the book again is Fact or Fiction the Paris M6 Crashes Volume 1 now is Volume 2 out? No, not yet. I'm still, you know, it's, it's a time thing for me. I have looked at volume two. And also I wanted to have something more substantive to write about. I think volume one was very much a poke in the dark, trying to see if there was anything out there that would, 
make sense and link up. And whilst there is information out there, there was nothing ever really substantive enough to say, okay, here's a volume two. Um, of course, over the last few months, we've had a few things going on. And I, I feel the urge that volume two may come ever closer in the coming months because, um, you know, we've had this release of this book, this one of 26 book, and then, of course, the stuff that brings us together today. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think that eventually I will do one. So let's just go back to the, the, the video that supposedly was taken at the crash scene. Again, this was the M6 crash at Junction 11 near Birmingham in 2010. And, again, yeah. we had uh, police... Well, we'll talk about the police recording in a, in a moment, but tell me about this, this video that came out that may or may not be from the crash scene. Well, th- this is a very short clip, um, and the allegation is it's witness footage taken from a car. Um, I-, I would guess by the, the sound of the music, full of young people, um, and they simply drive past the crash scene. They drive past the vehicles, and they drive past the line of fire in the tarmac, which, of course, is the line that was caused by the the bright light that was witnessed at the crash scene. It's a very short clip. It's 35 seconds, I think. Um, uh, There seems to be a lot of panic in the car, and they just drive off. Do we know the source of the video? No, no. Again, like so much that has been, um, you know, sort of linked to these incidents, it always leads to a dead end. There's a a YouTube account that goes nowhere. And then, of course, people reposted it into their own sites. I think the Museum of Weird posted it into theirs and a couple of others. But there was no sort of person that came forward and said, this is me, I was involved in this crash. I I would love to talk to them if there was such a person. But it clearly, does it clearly show that there is... A, uh, a line of vehicles involved in the pileup. Do we see the lead vehicle where the passengers are strangely absent? They seem to have vanished. Do we see all of that? We do. It's, it's a very murky uh, bit of footage, but we do see it. We do see the line of fire. We do see the truck. Um, we, we know from subsequent disclosures that there was a truck involved in this, allegedly. So, yeah, we, we see all of what we believe are the components that make up what is this M6 paranormal crash. Now, the other thing that we talked about last time you were on was this police recording. We also talked about it on Coast to Coast AM. Yes. Do you have any further updates? First, tell people what that recording was, what what we heard on this po- alleged police recording of the crash from an officer on the scene. And then if there are any updates, fill us in. Well, what what we hear are officers, um, you know, first response officers actually going to the scene of the crash on the M6. Um, and in, in amongst the chaos that ensues, obviously, we hear a lot of sirens and stuff going on in the background. Um, the, the officers clearly say that this is um, an, R, an RTA. Now, that was a bone of contention because somebody wrote into me and said it should have been an RTC. Um, and then we have... The, the officers claiming there was absolutely no one in the, the vehicles at the front. So, you know, very intriguing clip. And I, I've always maintained um, motive and endgame and what was the motivation for that. Um, there's been no updates per se about this because I've had no further interaction with anyone who claimed to have been involved in that. All right. Now, to the Paris crash scene. Yeah. Again, and this is near the Eiffel Tower. This happens several months after the Birmingham crash. Again, flash of light passengers disappeared but then they reappear and we have fatalities how many fatalities again um four people 
four people. What did they? I don't think I ever asked you this. What did they allegedly crash into? Um, apparently, they crashed into each other. There was a clash of vehicles, which, which again, is what we're being told in in this interview that has uh, sprung up on me over the last week. So we have a scenario where we have two vehicles. You know, we can picture this racing towards the Eiffel Tower, uh, involved in the collision, and bang, four people are killed. And these are the four people in the rear vehicle or the lead vehicle? Uh, across the two vehicles. Across the two. So a total of four in two vehicles. They are seen to vanish, and then when they reappear, obviously they're dead. Is that correct? That's correct. Again, these are some unsubstantiated witness uh, accounts from Mark Collins's report suggesting that witnesses claimed they disappeared then reappeared, but they were of a different appearance. Do we know how their appearance changed? Um, only that they were visually different. We don't know any other thing than that. Okay. And again, Mark Collins, give us a, a bit of a background. What what scant details we have on this gentleman? Well, a, again, another one of these cul-de-sacs that um, appears every so often in this case. Um, this is a guy that clearly took it upon himself to write a series of reports across both incidents um, and claimed to get close to somebody by the name of Detective Roger Silverton. Um, now, this, this Silverton character was allegedly feeding him a line, and he was taking this information and feeding it back into his reports and then releasing these reports. Um, they were fairly detailed, in fairness. And, and, you know, part of what came out of this interview I've just done does corroborate a lot of what he was suggesting happened. Of course, what we don't know is whether the corroboration is off the back of what they've read or if his corroboration is off the back of what actually happened. Okay. Now, again, Silverton, uh, what do we know about him? Is he real? Can we verify? Uh, we can't verify him. He's, again, completely untraceable. Um, I have to say that isn't unusual. Um, that isn't unusual at all. Um, you know, I, I think I, I made reference to this book that I've, I've read. I've read a few times, actually. Um, this is a person who claims to have been uh, a police officer, um, claims to be involved in a drug bust that went terribly wrong um, and then took leave and then took a desk job uh, allegedly working for one of the um, well, one of the UFO departments buried within the police and within the military in the UK um, completely unverifiable and you know I, I have to say we come off the back of what's just happened with this um, Akari Babchenko um, this Ukrainian or this Russian journalist who was dead one minute and alive the next, you know, it's almost at that scale, this person. You know, there is absolutely nothing about him anywhere that I can find, yet there seems to be this ominous presence of him within everything that happens. All right. There was also word of police sort of working on some sort of a code or breaking a code related to this case? Yeah, now this is this is all related to the one of twenty six Twitter feed, which is a masterful feed of you know on the surface of it absolute nonsense. Um, I did some digging. I did some digging again. Um, what I zeroed in on again, and I have to say, um, this was a new revelation. I looked at this Twitter feed, which is um, at one of twenty six, and there's entries. For example, on the 27th of July, um, that start to bring up, if you Google the coordinates, they actually start to bring up CIA websites within the search uh, called the World Factbook. Now, I don't know whether this is 
something that's new or whether it's something that's been around for a while because I haven't searched these coordinates for such a long time. Um, but, for example, the Iraqi police college uh, is one of the coordinates that is brought up again in the CIA website. So very strange, very, very strange. Um, again, I need to do some more digging on this. But, you know, there are locations like Fukushima, Hiroshima, um, the River Somme, places, uh, the Yangtze River, um, in, in amongst this sort of smorgasbord of coordinates. Um, and the CIA website, it ranks about third or fourth on these searches, which, which is a little bit unnerving. And again, it's something that I don't recall when I looked at them, albeit it was a few years ago. It seems like it's just getting more confusing and convoluted and more mysterious rather than us getting, getting more clarity. It just seems to getting, be getting more complicated. It, it does, and, and it also smacks of someone or, or uh, a few people who are trying to mask either their identity or their agenda. Um, I did a comprehensive review of this book, and there are certain things about it that, that really do sort of tie into this whole theory of a whistleblower um, putting out something that is subverted enough that it will go under the radar, but has... If you connect all the dots between the 1 and 26 feed, this, this fantastical book that I've read, and then all the other information we have, there's clearly a pattern here of something that, that needs to join together. Quite how, I don't know. Maybe that's the second book, is how to join this massive information together and see how it all fits in. Um, you know, there's, certainly there's something there. Um, certainly, you know, when you look at things like the CIA website looming large on certain searches, there's someone somewhere trying to tell us something, although quite what, I actually don't know. Uh, there is, is there an equivalent of Silverton on the French side? Uh, do we have any whistleblowers on the on the Paris crash side? No, there's, there's a couple of officers named here and there. There's a guy, um, I think he's called Francois Blanc, um, who works allegedly for the Gendarme uh, Nationale. Uh, it, it doesn't strike me as somebody who comes across as a Silverton character. Silverton, you know, from what I can see, is very much somebody who is right on the fringes of of where we would perceive an officer to be. If they are feeding information to Mark Collins or to somebody else, and they're feeding it as a way of whistleblowing, then clearly they're not going to take up a position and put their public name out there for, for fear of their own safety. Um, as, as we've seen with journalists just recently and many other people who are in the public eye or who have um, been caught up in whistleblowing. Assange, um, you know, Chelsea Manning, you've got uh, Edward Snowden. All these people have either risked their lives or had to go through serious changes of lives to protect their own freedom. Um, and, you know, Silverton could be that person. This book could be that mechanism. I don't know. Back to the Paris crash for a moment. One of the most bizarre aspects of what is truly a bizarre story on the whole. Um, the the bodies are taken to a morgue, uh, and there is some closed-circuit security camera footage of someone going into the morgue and, and tampering with the bodies. Explain what we see, or what we hear about that. Well, yeah, the... Again, there's been a couple of bits here and there, a couple of snippets of um, a suspect wandering around a hospital. Um, now, in, in fairness, you know, until I stumbled across this 
person this week or about a week ago now um it was very difficult to corroborate any of that because you know a couple of people i know who are french have said that in france you know there are no cctv cameras in hospitals it's against the law so you know here we are confronted with evidence that clearly allegedly shows a suspect yet when we flip back to this i'm being told that you know that actually isn't possible there would not be a camera in that particular room so you know again it, it's counterintuitive because you think well that that should be there but it isn't there and then we get told it is there you know and it's just been a question of trying to delve through all this disinformation and this fake news if you like to get to the bottom of what actually happened in that morgue um which, which to me is pivotal in this case because i think if we can unlock what happened there truly then i think the rest of it could start to fall into place because i think people at that point start to come forward a bit more so this the whether or not there was a security camera there or not the report is that it showed an individual going into the morgue where these four bodies are being stored and it looks as if this person is removing some uh, bodily fluids or something tell tell me more well, basically, we've been told that um, this person is is going in there. They have some sort of syringe device, and they are injecting bodies. Now, um, it, you know, to inject a dead body is almost a futile thing. I mean, I checked this out with a couple of medical specialists, um, and what we've been told here is that this person walked and injected dead bodies, but for what reason, they had no idea. Because in their opinion, up until this point, um, there would be no benefit to do that. Now, of course, that is science as we know it today. Um, you know, and this is another thing that I've been querying is, you know, where did the suspect come from? And what on earth were they doing in a morgue? And what on earth were they doing in there with a the, with the syringe? Because to take that risk, you would have to assume they would have prior knowledge to know that taking the risk would return some form of a reward. Well, the only reason why you inject anyone is to, you know, act put something into their body. Are we 100% certain that they were, well, we're not 100% certain of absolutely anything <laughs> regarding this case, but is it not possible that they were not injecting something into the body, but extracting something from the body? Because a syringe can be used that way as well. Um, it can be. It can be. And and again, we weren't, or I, and I still am not certain of anything that happened in that morgue. Um, what I have from this interview that I did just about a week ago is some form of corroboration that there was four bodies, three were injected, one was not, and the blood return or the blood test results from the three matched, but the fourth did not. And there was an anomaly in that fourth body. Again, this is something that was flagged up by Mark Collins um, in his report. So, of course, we have to return to the uh, the devil's advocate position. Is you know, Was this interview based around the report or was the report based around what actually happened? When you said the blood samples didn't match, they didn't match what? What do you mean? Well, um, the notes I've made, and I've gone through this again several times in this interview that I did recently, um, Three of the bodies, their blood test results were normal, um, absolutely normal. But the fourth body, um, and I quote their word, bubble, the fourth body, um, the blood test results came back and suggested that this person had no level of pollutant in their blood. So you or I walking around the streets of, I don't know, Toronto or London or Manchester, we breathe in a certain amount of pollutants as we walk around, yeah? 
and that gets absorbed into our bloodstream and it, it starts taking, you know, and we, it comes out in our blood test results. Well, three of those bodies tied in, absolutely tied in. The fourth body, the, the blood was completely pure, off, off the Richter scale. Um, so it's their opinion that that fourth body or that fourth person uh, couldn't have lived and breathed in our atmosphere almost. It's, it's almost as if they lived in a bubble in their words. Right. Now, one more uh, little loose end to, to talk about, and then we'll get to your latest information in this interview. And that yeah. is the the elevator um, footage, which which people believe, or researchers on this case believe, is the person in the morgue. And that... Uh, we have we've seen I've seen a sketch of this person. I've seen what appears to be a closed circuit uh, uh, photo or a security photo or still from a video. Tell me about that. Um, very simply speaking, this is a tracking shot, if you like, of this particular person. Now, you know there are two or three sightings that tie in with this person being that you know that is the chief suspect and that is the person that uh, you know that I'm being told. Uh, you know, in this evidence that I'm looking at, is the chief suspect, and and that was all it was. Uh, this uh, person, based on this footage or this this still photo, appears to be African, perhaps Middle Eastern. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, I would say more African than Middle Eastern. And that's all we know at this point. That's all we know. The, the footage was silent. There was no sound. There's no sound to accompany it. Um, and then, of course, we have the images of the syringe, so that kind of ties in together with this person, because he clearly in the elevator footage, uh, he makes motion into his jacket. This story is a mystery wrapped in an enigma shrouded in controversy and dipped in a chocolatey coating. I want to let you in on another secret. If you have a dog and are struggling with certain doggy behaviors, you know what I mean, and you desperately long for the obedient, well-trained, and loving pet of your dreams, then you'll want to check out this amazing dog training program developed by certified dog trainer Adrian Ferricelli. She's helped hundreds of dog owners train their dogs to be well-behaved, obedient, loving pets by bringing out the hidden intelligence inside the dogs. You can quickly eliminate any behavioral problem your dog has. No matter how badly you think it's ingrained, no matter what kind of dog you have. The science behind this is simple. You may have heard of neuroplasticity in the human brain. That's what allows our brains to learn new behaviors. Well, your dog's brain has this same plasticity, and with the right mental stimulation that Adrian teaches, any dog's brain will become more open and receptive to learning new information. Your dog will listen to you and understand what you want it to do. And when this happens, bad behaviors simply fade away as more desirable ones appear in their place. So, if you want to check out this remarkable dog training system, just visit realbusinessbargains.com. That's realbusinessbargains.com. realbusinessbargains.com. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Colin Hall, the author of Fact or Fiction, The Paris and M6 Crashes, is here with an important update on this fascinating mystery. All right, now to the latest. Hmm. Uh, uh, who did you speak to? How did you get in contact with this person? Well, about two weeks ago, I put a, a blog post on um, talking about a theory about this whistleblower theory. Um, 
and having read this thing and researched it and gone through it several times, I felt quite strongly about this. Um, I posted it. Um, somebody got in contact via the blog about it, um, claiming to be the morgue technician um, at the morgue at the Petit Salpetriere Hospital on the night of the break-in. Um, I have to say, there's been you know a few emails going backwards and forwards, and I can only take it on face value. Um, but this person has got a lot of information that appears to corroborate what we know, um, and. It's quite interesting because, again, I always look at end game and motive. Why on earth would you wait for so long, knowing this thing's been out for so long, to then suddenly come forward and say, hey, I was the morgue technician. I was there the night that this person was caught in the morgue. It, it doesn't make sense to hold back for so long, unless they're covering something up, unless they're fearful of being discovered, they may have changed jobs. You, you know, there are a whole plethora of reasons why this person would hold back. The only thing I would say is that they took time to sit and do an interview um, via Skype. Uh, it was a bit of a patchy interview because the signal was terrible. Um, but over the six or seven minutes during that interview, uh, this person declared or, or you know, stated a lot of things that we or I already surmised and solidified those um, thoughts I had into a testimony. Whether this person will remain in contact and come forward again as and when I need them, is another story. Were you able to establish this person's bona fides in, in this particular area of expertise? I mean, did you quiz this person to, to, to figure out whether, in fact, they, they might be a morgue technician? Um, I did as much as I could in seven minutes. I mean, I have a fairly limited medical knowledge. Um, one thing that did uh, amaze me somewhat uh, it was the allegation that the bodies were heavily sedated. And that in their opinion, they could not have driven those vehicles. Now, of course, that, that ties in with the fact that people suggested that people disappeared and reappeared during this bright light. Um, the, I think it was, was it succinacholine has been mentioned on a few occasions, actually. Repeat, I'm sorry, uh, repeat that? Succinacholine, sucks. It's, um, it's a sedative. A sedative, okay. Succinacholine, yeah. all right. You know, this person alleges that there was enough sedative in these four bodies to render them useless. They couldn't drive. And that also was compounded by the fact that they suggested that the condition of the bodies was not conducive to somebody who'd been involved in mass trauma in a, in a vehicle accident. So in, in their words, they had four bodies in a morgue that had no physical signs of uh, being involved in a crash and also had enough sedative pumped into them to make render them useless in terms of being able to drive. Um, so that that's quite significant because that ties back in to the whole area of people disappearing and reappearing again. Um, and it also ties into this body tampering um, report that Mark Connors put out, which was somewhat, I believe, corroborated by Silverton, albeit he didn't go as far. He kind of pulled back a bit. It sounds as if then there was an autopsy performed on these bodies. Yes, there was. I mean, you know, there is no doubt there was, a, there was an autopsy um, performed. The interesting thing is um, they were asked to sign off the uh, reports cause of death as a car crash. And that was against their judgment. Was this individual present during the autopsy? Um, 
from what I can gather, yes. From what from what I'm being told and from what they are saying, there's no reason for me to believe not. I mean, they have too much information about what was going on there at the time. Was he able to provide any other details about what these individuals, these four deceased individuals, looked like? Male, female, approximate age? No, no other details. She, she didn't advise me of anything else other than we had four bodies, three were injected, uh, the fourth had uh, a different set of blood results in terms of this whole issue about the pollutant content within the blood. Um, we mentioned that it had never happened before. Um, they were called in in the middle of the night and the suspect was there, you know, handcuffed and, and uh, being sort of guarded by the police. Um, and, you know, it's kept on going on about the fact that, you know, she was adamant they could not drive. So there's too much sedative in the in the bodies to allow them to be able to drive. Now, if you're involved in that level of detail, then one would imagine you were involved in that autopsy. Right. Now, I just want to come back to something you just said. A suspect, this was the person who was seen on camera tampering with the body? This person was apprehended? Um, well, yeah. I mean, this person, there is, I think, have you seen the footage in the police cell, the interview? No, I have not. Right, I need to. I'll get you the link to that. There, there is again some very shady um, footage of a suspect being interviewed in uh, in what looks like a police cell, um, and they throw the the syringe in front of the suspect. The suspect doesn't say a dicky bird, doesn't say a word. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I will again. I'll send that to you. I thought I did send that to you, to be honest. Ah, okay. So we do have a suspect, but we don't. Obviously, there is no rep- reportage on this. We don't have anything in the mainstream media to uh, to, to report on. Uh, okay. Any any other questions that you asked this morgue technician during your Skype interview? I think the big thing that I was. Um, pushing for is the integrity of the bodies and the fact that you know for for me the most important thing was that these people could not have driven the vehicles um you know and for them to be put in a position where they had to sign off uh the death certificate or the, the the reports to suggest they had been involved in the car crash um i think that was a huge thing that i had to zero in and just get absolutely clear um and to, to satisfy in my own mind that what we have here is, you know, four bodies that possibly have no, well, they, they have a connection to the crash because they are allegedly from the crash scene. But the, the physical um, appearance after the crash bears no resemblance to somebody who's been in a crash. And this is what I was very, very keen to get um, nailed down, if you like, because this is the crux of this whole thing. You know, in Paris, we're talking about people that, that disappeared and reappeared. Now, you know, if they did, then this ties in. This is another little nugget of fact, if you like, that ties in with Mark Collins's reports. And I think that was an important part of our interview to actually, you know, nail down. Uh, and in the case of the M6 crash, we just have an empty vehicle. We don't know who, how many people were in that vehicle. We just know that there was no one there when the police arrived on the scene, right? That's correct. There were three vehicles at the front, two ve- two cars and a truck, and they were all empty. All empty. So there could have been four people. There could have been 15 people, for all we know. Yeah. I mean, if you figure the average family car holds five, that's five, ten, two in the truck, maybe 12 or 13 people, certainly. Remarkable. Uh, has anyone bothered to 
check to see if there are missing persons reports in and around that time in that area? I, I've tried, um, and there isn't anything blatantly obvious. There certainly isn't a collection of you know half a dozen people that have gone missing, because they'd have to go missing on the same day. Right. Now, of course, if, if that amount of people went missing on the same day, from the same location, then you would imagine that there would be some form of um, reporting on it. Um, there is nothing out there, and there's nothing, as far as you can delve in to police records, there's nothing that I could find that sort of says, oh, you know, missing persons or anything like that. Nothing at all. So what's next for you? What, what's uh, the next thread you're going to tug on? I, th I think for me, I've got to delve back into the book and have a look at this witness statement that I've got. Um, and I've got to try and establish a, a link and how this has all come about. I think this, this witness is very, very important now because they've come forward and they have corroborated quite a lot. This is somebody who has either taken a great risk um, and is willing to help solve the case um, or somebody who's obsessed with it. I don't know. But I have to take it on face value at this moment in time. So the next thing for me is to go back through all the information I've got and have a look at exactly how this fits in because there's some pretty serious stuff here that, that is something I can really grasp onto now, which is something I didn't have before. Have they agreed to speak with you again? Yes. Um, we haven't formalized any sort of time or date, um, but I have their contact details, and, and I can again request another interview which hopefully will not be rejected have you have you put the call out to speak with a silverton character um i've, I've tried to subtly um and got absolutely nowhere i may try slightly less subtly now i've got this interview under my belt because what i can do with this this is the great thing we have in the internet is we have you know methods and means to get you know stories out there fairly rapidly i've got somebody here that partway corroborates what they were saying so what i'm hoping is if this person is still active or even retired they may now come forward and say look you know this is exactly what happened so again what what are the options here if this did in fact occur uh, as it's been reported what are our options what what are the possible explanations as you see them well, I've, I've always looked at it as, as a couple of options. I've always suggested that, you know, it could have been a military experiment that went wrong. Um, there could have been a diversion, and this whole thing was created to take our eye off the ball, and that something else was happening. Um, I think that's a very real possibility. I think we live in a world where diversions are, well, certainly more commonplace now than, than what they were maybe, you know, seven, eight years ago. But it would tie in quite neatly. And, and we are getting a, a reasonable amount of disclosure uh, about certain events within the U.S. military, for example, uh, about UFO sightings. People are coming forward now with confidence and sort of suggesting these things did happen. So, you know, a military experiment that went wrong is, is entirely possible. And the amount of resource and sheer um, firepower and bloody-mindedness to do what they've done would again tie in because there aren't many bodies of people that would be able to cover up and do what they've done in such a way to completely outfox people. 
and lead them down another path. And of course, when you look at the one of 26 Twitter feed and, and, you know, like I say, some of it could be nonsense, some of it might not be, you know, the fact that the, the CIA seems to be lurking in the background on a few of these coordinates, that's raising my eyebrows as well now because, you know, the, the, again, there has to be some form of a connection between what these coordinates are and why on earth we've got the world fact book um, pages coming up from the CIA. It, it cannot be a coincidence. And the, the seemingly outlandish possibility that we're talking about interdimensional travelers, time travelers, your thoughts on that? Well, again, military experiment. You know, I mean, Ronald Mallet's been referenced in all of this um, on more than one occasion. Ronald Mallet is, is very much a believer that time travel is possible. And in fact, you know, he, he's, he's even stated on some of his blogs that it's probably happened already. Um, I wouldn't rule anything out, especially when you look at the new evidence that's come to light about the bodies in the mortuary. You know, four bodies that have disappeared and reappeared and they have no um, physical signs of being involved in the crash. Well, that begs the question, who was in the crash and where have they gone? And how on earth did these four get to the morgue? And why is it taking somebody, what, seven years or so to come forward? Well, there's a fear factor in that. There's a certain amount of fear that, you know, coming forward and saying, I have technically illegally signed off a more report to justify a requirement. Um, you know, th th there has to be some form of a fear there, and there has to be a plausible reason for that. And therefore, as you quite rightly say, as outlandish as it, as it may sound, you know, the spectre of something being some form of time travel, it can't be ruled out now. How far are you from Birmingham? Um, about an hour and a half. Hmm. Um, do they have like wrecking, wrecking yards? I know like here in the United States and Canada, we have big wrecking yards where it's like a ghost or uh, like a graveyard for cars that have been in crashes and they, they will uh, scavenge them for spare parts and then eventually they'll recycle the metal. Do they have things like that in, in England? They do. And that, that's a very interesting point because According to certain pages in that book, um, these vehicles were taken to a, uh, a, a junkyard, but it wasn't any old junkyard. This was a controlled area, uh, and they used the word cleansed. Um, so basically, the three vehicles that were the prime vehicles involved in that crash are buried somewhere. Again, I, I, I do speculate, but probably in some form of military depot, um, and they are probably never going to be seen again. And that, that's another thing that's very interesting because that, those three cars do hold a lot of keys to this. Um, so the mere fact they, they're never ever going to be seen again at this moment in time unless somebody can find the, the yard where they've gone, uh, means that, you know, clues will never ever be able to be unlocked. And I guess that, that drive by video by those, uh, by the people on the M6, uh, that surfaced, there were no license plates visible, anything like that. No, no. I mean, it was, yeah, my guess is it was filmed on a on a phone. Now, going back to that sort of, you know, seven, eight years ago, a, a camera phone wouldn't have been high def. It would have been fairly low quality. Whoever was taking it was um, bouncing around all over the place. So the only thing you could see were a couple of people stood outside the cars uh, and then the vehicles themselves and, of course, the truck and then the line of fire. 
All right, Colin. Well, thank you for this update. And uh, when and if you hear from this mortgage mortgage <laughs> morgue technician uh, in Paris again, please uh, let me know, and we can do another update. And in the meantime, we'll look forward to Volume Two of Factor Fiction: The Paris and M Six Crashes. That's great. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you. Colin Hall. Well, this story is ongoing, and so I'm sure we'll be uh, talking again before too long. Now, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'm going to tell you what's next on Conspiracy Unlimited. But first, let me tell you about something I recently discovered. If you own a business or you've dreamed of starting one, there's a helpful free guide with 36 business power tools proven to boost sales, increase income, simplify your life, and give you better results with less effort. Best of all, this business toolbox is yours absolutely. Absolutely free. And these are useful online tools that make doing almost anything a lot easier. Just visit freebusinesstoolbox.com to grab your copy. Now, I know there are a lot of websites out there. They offer you a special deal on something, but then they stick you in some annoying recurring program. Relax. This isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. Brightbiz is giving away this guide free of charge as a means of putting your best foot forward. But all good things must come to an end, so don't wait. Grab your free guide today. Visit freebusinesstoolbox.com. Freebusinesstoolbox.com. Coming up on episode 75 of Conspiracy Unlimited, ancient Roman forts discovered in the Ohio Valley? Researcher author Rick Osman will be here with the startling details. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.